it has been somewhere around the 1st of October since I've occupied this particular position. And I'm glad to have the opportunity to talk with you a little bit tonight. Before we get into the lesson, I might mention, of course, uh, Brother Paul Kaufman is leaving Tuesday for his work over in uh, Kenya. And so if you have a desire to uh, help him in that, make a contribution to him, I know he would appreciate it. And so you, you, you can take care of that. He's leaving this coming Tuesday for that work. Also, I might mention Jerry has been sick, I understand. He is sick still. And uh, Emily Latson also has been sick. She is not better, but she was here Wednesday night or either service today. <clears throat> well, the question that I have tonight is a question that we have in the Old Testament Scripture. That is the question, is there no bomb in Gilead? You know, I remember when I was in college at Freed Hardeman, Tennessee, and in the chorus, we sang a song that said there is a bomb in Gilead. And I got to, I saw some information on that the other few days ago and I decided, well, that would make a lesson. I think I'll preach on that. Jeremiah, the eighth chapter, beginning, beginning at verse 18, I would comfort myself in sorrow. My heart is faint in me. Listen, the voice, the cry of the daughter of, daughter of my people, from a far country, is there not the Lord in Zion? Is not her king in her? Why have they provoked me to anger with their carvings, with their carved images, and with foreign idols? The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. Of course, that was their condition as it's being described in this context. For the hurt of the daughter of my people, I am hurt, Jeremiah said. I am mourning. Astonishment has taken hold of me. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then is there no recovery for the health of, my, of the daughter of my people? Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? And those are actually rhetorical questions. The answer is implied. And uh, to put it in a positive way, he is saying, really, there is a balm for the sin-sick nation of Israel, of Judah, at this particular time. And there is a physician. There is a solution to their problem. If they would only apply that medicinal solution that the Lord has to this. A spiritual medicine. 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 Oh, that my head were... The next chapter goes ahead and says, Isaiah, or Jeremiah says, Oh, that my head were waters. In my eyes a fountain of tears. 
that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. Thus he is called, with Jeremiah's often been called the weeping prophet. For the slain of the daughter of my people, oh, that I had in the wilderness a lodging place for wayfaring men, that I might leave my people and go from them. For they are all adulterers and an assembly of treacherous men. And like their bow, they have bent their tongues for lies. They are not valued for the truth on earth. For they proceed from evil to evil, and they do not know me, says the Lord. Everyone take heed to his neighbor, and do not trust any brother, for every brother will utterly supplant, and every neighbor, and everyone will deceive his neighbor, and will not speak truth, for they have their tongue, they have taught their tongue to speak lies, and weary themselves to commit iniquity. Your habitation is in the midst of deceit. Through deceit they refuse to know me, says the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will refine them and try them, and how shall I deal with the daughter of my people? Their tongue is an arrow shot out. It speaks deceit. One speaks peaceably to his neighbor with his mouth, but his heart, but in his heart he lies in wait. And on and on, he goes describing their condition and weeping in sorrow because of the condition of the people of Judah in his, uh, in his time. So, this uh, question is used as a figure. Evidently, uh, Gilead was known for its uh, redemptive type of salve or of, uh, or treatment of some kind is the reason that is used and it, that is used as a figure rather than really to deal with uh, a physical substance but to use that as an illustration of is there no balm for the people of Israel balm of course B-A-L-M refers to a some kind of medicinal treatment so the same principle applies to us today. Is there no balm in Christ and in the gospel of Christ? As we said, this is a historical, to use this, is there no balm in Gilead, is a figurative way of pointing out this principle. Let's look at a number of passages, a number of statements that Jeremiah makes in this book. And I start in Jeremiah, the second chapter, at verse 9, Therefore I will yet bring charges against you, says the Lord, and against your children's children I will bring charges. For pass beyond this coast of Cyprus and see, send to Kedar, and consider diligently, and see if there has been such a thing as a nation changed its gods, which are not gods, but my people have changed their glory. For what, does, for what does not profit? Be astonished. They have changed their glory for what does not profit. Be, be astonished, O heavens, at this. And be horribly afraid. Be very desolate, says the Lord. Listen to this. For my people have committed two evils. 
They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewn themselves cisterns, broken cisterns, that can hold no water. And again, he uses figures, he uses a figure here. And they have hewn for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns. That's, he's using that as figures for the system of religion, the idolatry and all the things that they have gotten into as a, a way of emphasizing that. Broken cisterns that can hold no water. And they have deserted the Lord God of heaven, who is the fountain of living waters. In verses 26 through 28 of this same second chapter, as the thief is ashamed when he is found out, so is the house of Israel ashamed, and they and their, they and their kings and their princes and their priests and their prophets, saying to a tree, this is that, saying to a tree, you are my father, that has to do with idolatry, and to a stone, you gave birth to me, for they have turned their back to me, and not their face. But in time of their trouble, they will say, Arise and save us. But where are your gods that you have made for yourselves? Let them arise, if they can save you in the time of your trouble. For according to the number of your cities are your gods, O Judah. And then in chapter 3, at verses 6 through 9, the Lord also said to me in the days of Josiah the king, Have you seen what backsliding Israel has done? She has gone up on every high mountain and under every green tree, and there, and there played the harlot. And I said, after she had done these things, Return to me. But she did not return. And her sister, her treacherous sister Judah, saw it and then I saw for all the causes for which backsliding Israel had committed adultery I had put her away and given her a certificate of divorce yet her treacherous sister Judah did not fear but went and played the harlot also so he said Judah has seen what has already happened to the ten northern tribes designated as Israel They've already been carried into Assyrian captivity and they know why they were carried into Assyrian captivity. But have they learned from it? No. They're going in the same path and doing the same things that uh, were done by them. In the fifth chapter of Jeremiah, verses 14 and 15, well, first of all, in verse 1, from, run to and fro through the streets of Jerusalem, See now and know and seek in her open places if you can find a man, if there's anyone to, who executes judgment, who seeks the truth. And I will pardon her. That's kind of like uh, Abraham bargaining with God that if they finally, if there were ten righteous people in, uh, in Sodom and Gomorrah, he would not destroy the cities. So he says, if you can find one man who will seek the truth, I will pardon her. But they, they all gone, most all of them gone out of the 
going out of the way. But then in also in verses 14 and 15. Therefore thus says the Lord of hosts, because you speak this word, behold, I will make my words in your mouth fire, and this people would, and it shall devour them. Behold, I will bring a nation against you from afar. O house of Israel, says the Lord, it is a mighty nation, it is an ancient nation, a nation whose language you do not know, nor can you understand what they say. He's talking about the nation of Babylon coming against them. He even names the ones, and yet they will not listen uh, to him in this plea that he's making to them. In the sixth chapter, some very familiar words, uh, these words are often referred to, but in verse 14 of the sixth chapter of Jeremiah, for they have also healed the herd of my people slightly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. Were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? No, they were not at all ashamed, nor did they know how to blush. Therefore they shall fall among those who fall. At the time I punish them, they shall be cast down, says the Lord. Thus says the Lord, stand in the ways and see. Ask for the old paths where, there, where the good way is and walk in it. Then you will find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. Also I set watchmen over you saying, listen to the sound of the trumpet. But they said, we will not listen. Therefore hear you nations and know, O congregation, what is among them. Hear, O earth, behold, I will certainly bring calamity on this people, even the fruit of their thoughts, because they have, because they have not heeded my words. In the seventh chapter, beginning at verse 8, Behold, you trust in lying words that cannot profit. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, burn incense to Baal, and walk after other gods whom you do not know, and then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say we are delivered to do all these abominations? Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of thieves in your eyes? Behold, I, even I, have seen it, says the Lord. But go now to my place which, is, which was in Shiloh, where I set my name at first, and see what I, what I did to it because of the wickedness of my people. And now because you have done all these works, says the Lord, and I spoke to you rising up early and speaking, but you did not hear. And I called you, but you did not answer. Therefore, I will do this. I will do to this house, which is called by my name, in which you trust, and to this place, which I gave to you and your fathers, as I have done to Shiloh. Referring again to that place that he had already destroyed when he destroyed Israel. I will cast you out of my sight, as I cast out all your brethren the whole possession or posterity of Ephraim. Ephraim there, of course, standing for the northern kingdom of Israel. 
in verses 28 to 31. So you shall, shall you show, so you shall say to them, this is a nation that does not obey the voice of the Lord their God, nor receive correction. Truth has perished and has and has been cut off from their mouth. And uh, then in the 8th chapter, beginning at verse 8, how can you say we are wise and the law of the Lord is with us? Look, the false pen of the scribe certainly works falsehood. The wise men are ashamed. They are dismayed and taken. Behold, they have rejected the word of the Lord, so what wisdom do they have? Therefore I will give their wives to others, and their fields to those who will inherit them. Because from the least even to the greatest, everyone is given to covetousness. From the prophet even to the priest, everyone deals falsely. And they have healed the herd of, my, of the daughter of my people slightly, saying, Peace, peace when there is no peace. Were they ashamed when they committed abomination? No, they were not at all ashamed, nor did they know how to blush. Therefore they shall fall among those who fall. In the time of their punishment, they shall be cast down, says the Lord. And now let's go over to the 18th chapter. In chapter 18, first of all, down at verse 11, now therefore speak to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, saying, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I am fashioning a disaster and devising a plan against you. Return everyone now, return now everyone from his evil way and make your ways and your doings good. What was their reply? They said, that is hopeless. So we will walk according to our own plans, and we will everyone do the imaginations of his evil heart. And in the same chapter at verse 18, this is their attitude toward Jeremiah, who's trying to help them. Then they said, Come, let us devise plans against Jeremiah, for the law shall not perish from the priest, nor counsel from the wise, nor the word from the prophet. Come, let us attack him with the tongue, and let us not give heed to any of his words. And he's trying to help them. He's try, trying to get them to take that bomb of Gilead, which of course was trusting in the Lord their God rather than in their own ways. So that's why Jeremiah asked the question, is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no treatment for this people? Is there no solution for the problem that Judah has? And he says there certainly is, and that's in following after the Lord God of heaven. Well, is there no balm in Gilead for our us today in our society today and many Religious people today, even like in that day. What is required of us today? Is there no balm in Gilead for us, as it were? Is there no solution 
for what's going on in our society today, and even among many who are claiming to follow after God and after our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In the New Testament, in Romans 15 at verse 4, let's begin there by pointing out what Paul in Romans said about the Old Testament scriptures and how they are related to us. Romans 15 at verse 4. For whatever things were written before, referring to the Old Testament scriptures, were written for our learning, that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Well, having that in mind, let's look at some of the things that are taught us in the New Testament. I know that there are people sincere religious people who have made the argument that, well, you know, the Lord was very strict on people in Old Testament days, but we live under the, we live under grace today, and certainly we do. But they use that as an opportunity to say, well, the Lord's not going to be as hard on us as he was those in the Old Testament days. Well, let me read to you some words from Hebrews 2, beginning at verse 2. For if the words spoken through angels prove steadfast, again referring to how God dealt with people in Old Testament days, for if the words spoken through angels prove steadfast and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation which at first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him? And so we have, we have a greater salvation. We have a greater covenant under which to live. And that brings upon us greater responsibilities than even they had under Old Testament days. Jesus himself said in Matthew the seventh chapter in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, beginning at verse 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me at that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? Who is he describing here? He's describing sincere, honest religious people. They thought they have served the Lord. But he said, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. <coughs> The rains descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on the house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. What did they do? They heard and did the sayings of Jesus. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rains descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell. And great was its fall. 
And it was, and so it was when Jesus had ended these things, that that the people were astonished at his uh, at his teaching. Also remember that in John the seventeenth chapter, in the prayer that Jesus prayed to his Father in heaven. He said in verses 20 and 21, I do not pray for these alone. He had already mentioned that he had prayed for the apostles, his apostles. But he says, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Is the word of the apostles important? Listen to that. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe on me Believe in me through their word, the word of the words of the apostles, that they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And yet, people, we've heard people pray in our day and time and thank God for all the different religions that oppose one another all of the different teachings that are taught supposedly in the name of Jesus Christ but teachings that Jesus never taught so think about that somebody says why is is it so important to listen to the apostles well Jesus in this very previous chapter had promised the apostles in verse 13 however when he the spirit of truth the Holy Spirit has come He will guide you into all truth. How much truth is there beside all truth? That's all of it. He shall guide you into all truth. So this message that the apostles have left for us is the all truth that Jesus said the Holy Spirit would give to them. And in Acts the 8th chapter, at verses 12 and, thir- 12 and 13, Acts the 8th chapter, verses 12 and 13. You remember when, the, uh, when Philip the evangelist had come in contact with the Ethiopian man on the road as he, was leaving Jeru- as he had left Jerusalem and on his way to the south. But when they believed, Philip, as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Then Simon himself also believed, and when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed, seeing the miracles and signs which were done. In... uh, Verses 19 through 24. Let's look at that. This is Acts, the 8th chapter. Verses 19 through 24. You remember that uh, one of the people that was baptized was this... uh, man that had been the sorcerer in times past. So the apostles had gone down 
had gone down to Samaria and they had laid hands on certain ones and he got the idea that he wanted to he wanted that power so he offered them money saying give me this power also that on anyone on whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit but Peter said to him your money perish with you because you thought the gift of God could be purchased with money you have neither part nor portion in this matter for your heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent therefore of this your wickedness and pray to God if perhaps the heart, the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and by, and, and by iniquity. Then Simon answered and said, Pray to the Lord for me that none of these things which you have spoken come upon me. Now, again, and you've heard me make this point before, but it's convenient to do so again tonight. What was the first thing that these folks did in Samaria when the gospel was preached to them? It says, and when he, it says, uh, they were baptized, both men and women. And even Simon himself believed and was baptized. But later, he committed this sin. And what did they tell this baptized believer to do? To repent and pray God for forgiveness. I want you to see and understand that a good portion of the religious world right here in these United States of America have switched those two systems of pardon and have made them the exact opposite, teaching them that they are to repent, come pray the sinner's prayer, and the Lord will forgive them, and then they go be baptized to join the church of their choice. That is not taught in the scriptures. That is a, that is a perversion of the order that is given concerning this matter right here, plainly in inspired scripture in the New Testament. So, in closing, let's think about the pleas that are made. There is a bomb. There is a great physician, Jesus Christ. There is a bomb. The gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation to everyone believed, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. Romans, the first chapter, verses 16 and 17. And Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty-eight, Come to me. All you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He's offering them the bomb right there. And he's offering that to us today. Let's make sure that we are walking in the footsteps of our Savior, that we are really, truly, sincerely trying to follow after Jesus, not just in the things that please us and that we particularly like, but in everything even to the point that when we recognize that we have done wrong, that we do what he tells us as Christians to do, repent of our sins and pray to God for forgiveness and confess them to God. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether it's good or bad. 
2 Corinthians 5 at verse 10. And do you who are rest, troubled, rest with us till the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those that don't know not God and obey not the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord, the glory of his power. Well, is there no bomb in Gilead? Is there no bomb in Jesus Christ, the great physician, and the gospel of Jesus Christ? If you need to render obedience to the gospel in either of these two ways, tonight, either initially or in returning, as Simon did, won't you do that right now as together we stand and sing? Is it for me, dear Savior, thy glory and thy rest? For me so weak and sinful, oh, shall I be so blessed? Oh, Savior, my Redeemer, one can I but adore and magnify and praise thee and love thee ever. 